Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. This is a series where we discuss the spiritual and philosophical aspects of tea and the life lessons and wisdom that grow out of such a practice. After all, tea lessons are life lessons. If you'd like to support our cause and keep these podcasts going, then visit globalteahut.org and sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea from growing, processing, and serving to the history, lore, ethnography, and even the spiritual aspects of the leaf. Every issue also comes with a tin of sustainably produced tea. Global Tea, of course, is also a community growing worldwide with a beautiful app for members that help you learn and grow together, as well as join or even host tea events yourself. This podcast is devoted to Cha Dao as a way of life. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, like the different genres, processing methods, science, or brewing methods and brewing tips, then check out our magazine or perhaps our YouTube channel, which is also called Global Tea Hut. There we have tons of videos, including a new brewing tea series where we do cover all the practical aspects of brewing tea. Of course, you can also come visit our free tea center here in Miaoli, Taiwan, Tea Sage Hut, where we offer two 10-day courses every month. Basically, this podcast isn't going to focus so much on the linear aspects of tea, the information about its processing, history, or brewing tips. It's going to focus instead on the life wisdom that comes from such a practice. My name is Janos, and I'm a student and volunteer here at the Tea Sage Hut. I'm going to be hosting this podcast for some time. My first guest is Wude, student of the LEAF, Zen monk and teacher at the Tea Sage Hut. We will start this series off by discussing what Cha Dao is. So grab yourself a bowl of tea and join us. We're here drinking some uh, Mang Song Shang Puer. Um, welcome to the podcast, Wu. Uh, really happy to be here. Super excited to start this project and have this space to talk about these topics together. So since this is a podcast about Cha Dao, um, obviously the first question is, what is Cha Dao? Yeah, and that's a really deep and powerful question. It's a question actually that uh, we could spend several dozen podcasts talking about. We could spend many, many hours or even a lifetime talking about. I think a, a good like launching point, and we can launch wherever we like into many different discussions, but a good launching point is maybe to start with the etymology of the words Cha Dao and a little bit of the history of, of, of it as well. Um, obviously Cha is tea, and of the two words, this is the easier one. I wouldn't say it is easy, but it's an easier word to understand in that it's you know a cluster of plants within the camellia genus and, uh, and their you know, processing and history and the way that we drink it, um, you can expand that and that can become very deep, but, but it's accessible. Uh, there's books about it, especially nowadays. Uh, there's a great magazine called Global Tiat and there's web, websites and, uh, and videos and things. So learning tea uh, in this day and age is a lot easier than it was when I first started, for example. But there's a lot of information and it's pretty accessible. It's always been accessible to if you can read Chinese, but now it's becoming more and more accessible even if you read other languages. But the Tao part, that's the really the hard part. Um, and this word also goes back millennia. It's, it's deep, it's, it's powerful. Um, you know, start, we could start with the, maybe the first mention of it. Certainly the most famous is the book of the Tao Te Ching, 
the way of the of 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 the Tao and its and its power, or the canon of the way and its power. However, you want to translate that. Um, and it, it, it really powerfully, it starts with the words Tao ke Tao, Fei Chang Tao, Ming ke Ming, Fei Chang Ming, which means, you know, literally the Tao that can be doubted is not the Tao, which some people translate as a pun because Tao means way, but it also means to speak. So there's like the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao, but it could also mean the Tao that you can follow is not the Tao. It can mean all kinds of things, these, these, this first line. It's very uh, powerful and deep. Later on in that first chapter, the old man, uh, Lao Tzu, he says that, uh, I know not what to call it, so I call it the way. Um, and this is really powerful for a lot of reasons. What he's talking about is, on, at, at the deepest level, at the highest level, he's talking about the way the universe works. Uh, the way planets go around stars, the way gravity works, uh, the way that water flows, the way that uh, chemistry works, all the laws of the universe, but not in terms of our ability to understand and, um, and represent those laws through the symbols of mathematics or philosophy or language, but the actual working as it's happening, right? Because you have gravity as a force out there in the universe, and then you have like our understanding of it whether it's mathematical or linguistic or conceptual, right? But you have the actual way that things are working in the universe. Like this is the big way, capital W. This is the big Tao, capital D, the way that things are happening and unfolding. And then the powerful thing about choosing this word, though, to talk about uh, the the, the way that the universe unfolds, its force, its power, its, um, its movements, all of that and beyond language, actually, as the first lines say, anything that you can say is not it, but um, just points a finger at it. But using the word way is really powerful because way is also small w, a way of life. And why that's important and why he chose this word is incredibly deep. And, you know, we could spend a lifetime talking about it. But the point, the essence of it is that um, by saying that, you know, the, by saying that the universe itself and the cosmology is a way, and that's the same word that I talk about for, the, for my life and cultivation and practice, where he, I believe, in essence, my understanding is that he, he's trying to connect the two. So that when I follow my, my way, small w, that in some way becomes a part of the way. So there's a lot of ways, just like there's a lot of Tao's, Tao Ka Tao Fei Chang Tao. Like my way is a way of becoming part of the way. I know that's kind of funny, but it, it, it makes sense in a, in a, if you think about it, right? If I can find a way of life that's in harmony with the way, then my way is a way to connect to the way. And uh, that's kind of what, what it's about. And I think it's historically important to separate in Chinese what's called Tao Jiao and Tao Jia. So Tao Jiao is like the classic philosophy of the Tao. This is the Chuangzi, the Tao Te Ching, these books, right? What were often called dark studies back in the day, a long time ago, uh, centuries ago. And Tao Jiao, which is Taoism, temples, uh, it's a religion. It's a methods of, uh, of prayer and holidays and all the things that all the religions have. So what we're talking about here in, in unpacking Cha Dao isn't, isn't Tao Jiao. It's not that religion. 
It's not about the religion of those prayers and martial arts and all the other things that are associated with and, and under that house. I'm talking about the, just the philosophy of uh, finding a way to live that's in alignment with the way. Finding a, a, a program for living that is uh, connected or connects me to higher things. Right? There's an old Taoist saying that uh, man follows the earth, the earth follows nature, nature follows the universe, the universe follows the Tao, the Tao follows only itself. Some version of that saying have less. You can condense it, too. you could just say man follows the earth, the earth follows the universe, the universe follows the Tao, Tao follows itself. Um, so through following, through following my, uh, uh, a way of life that is in harmony with the earth, with, uh, with, you know, I'm in harmony then with the universe, which is in harmony with the Tao. And so it all comes then, just as it spirals up, it all spirals back down to me. And so this is really the essence of, of uh, what this practice is. It's about, you know, having a program, having a way of life, because nowadays the issue is that uh, people often assume, if they even have conscious thoughts about this, a lot of people, they assume that uh, the choices between a, to have a program, a way of life, a philosophy, a belief system, whatever you want to say, or none. But actually the truth is that you, you're not choosing between having one or not. A lot of people are, are like, no, I'm not interested in that. And they think they're not choosing a program. But really the real choice isn't between to have a program or not. It's between having a conscious program or not. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, there's always a program. It's just conscious one or unconscious one. And if you, so if you don't have a program, then the world is dictating your program. Because there are constantly people around the world asking you to see things in the way that they want you to see things. The issue with that is that most of the time that's for their own interests, right? Because the, wor the world system that we're in now, it's not like in ancient times. In ancient times, people, our ancestors, they were born into kind of really local, small, tribal cultures. And those cultures certainly weren't perfect. And their societies certainly weren't perfect. Throughout their life, they might get into all kinds of fights or wars or kill each other, or do whatever. But at least the culture itself, the language, the belief system, the religion, the food, everything about their life was, one could say, designed to nourish them, body, heart, and soul. Um, you know, not perfectly, but within their environment, certainly. So, um, you know, the food was based on a harmony with the nature that surrounded them and the food that maybe was, you know, in their environment and seasonal and uh, good for their body. And then they had like a language and a belief system and a religion and rites and rituals and ceremonies to harm, to actualize that mythology in the life of a person. They had holidays, oftentimes that both connected them to the myth, to the transcendent, but also connected them to times in nature, like winter solstice or summer solstice. And all of this culture really was there to nourish a human being, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually. And, and so, if they went unconscious, they were going unconscious into a culture that at least was there to nourish a human being, body, mind, and soul, uh, to different relative degrees. But you know, over the last um, few thousand years, you know, ten thousand, if you want to say, as we've moved 
away from tribal hunter-gatherer societies to civilization and more complexity, what's happened is that more and more and more, and I feel like we're at the peak of it now, the culture that we grew up in, myself, I don't know about the listener or you, Janos, but myself, the culture that I grew up, which is just the modern globalized capitalist society, that culture is not designed to nourish a human being. In fact, it's curiously ill-suited for human life. And what you have instead is all this programming that is intent on selling me things, most of which is not good for me, physically, mentally, or spiritually. Um, you know, and and these and it's and it's designed and and executed by corporations and political entities, and they don't have my best interests in mind. In fact, they are spending millions of dollars on all kinds of psychological research that is in some ways predatory and I'm the prey. How to use my biological drives for oil, salt, sugar, sex, etc. to sell me things, many of which are not good for me. So if you're relaxing into an unconscious program, you're relaxing into the program of that. And that's not, uh, you know, personally what I want. I want a conscious program. I think that saying like, I don't have a philosophy, I don't have a belief system, I'm atheist, I'm not religious, I don't have a belief system, I'm just a modern simple dude. That attitude is a little silly because the worst possible philosophy for a way of life is none. Because you're in essence saying my philosophy is a philosophy that hasn't been thought out at all. And you can't have a worse philosophy than one that is not thought out at all. That you haven't put invested any intention or thought into architecting. Or that wasn't at least architected for you in a way that was intended to nourish you, right? And that's what my tradition also is, is a program. And that's the, where we get to Cha Dao and putting these two words together, the tea and the Dao, the big stuff and the little stuff, putting it all together is essentially, when I go out and serve tea, a lot of people ask, you know, maybe they have the same tea and I serve that tea and, and they feel like it's different or more powerful. And then the question comes, why is, your, why is the tea you serve Buddha powerful? And they think it has something to do with me. But let's put it on the record. Let's say it as clear as we can. It has nothing to do with me. I'm just a dude. What it has to do with is, first of all, uh, good tea, quality tea, living tea, which you should look up in our magazine if you don't know what it is, but it's basically tea that's you know, seed propagated, grown in biodiverse environments with uh, richness to them that have like the healing qualities that this herb should have as medicine. When you combine that with, the, with my tradition, which is a program for uh, brewing tea, how to brew it, how to create the sacred ceremonial space. So three things, how to brew it, the method of preparing that medicine. Two, how to create the space in which the tea is prepared, right? And three, the, the approach to the, to the life of, of with that medicine and how to serve it to others and how to live it, right? Those three things. When you take that, that program, that tradition, and you combine it with those herbs, that's where the power comes from. It's nothing to do with me. In fact, the more me there is in it, the worse it is, right? They once asked a famous ballerina in the early 20th century, how do you perform so well? And she said, when I'm on stage, there's no, there's no music and there's no me. There's only dance, right? This is like when athletes say, I'm, I'm in the zone, right? So if an athlete has something on their mind, they're not going to 
play well that day. They're going to suck. And if a, if, a mus- if a musician, same, is on stage playing and they're thinking about their girlfriend who broke up with them or something, unless they can channel that energy into the music, it's going to mess up. They're going to miss notes. And, and, or if they're a th- theater performer, they're going to forget their lines. Right? Same thing. If I'm there serving tea and I'm in it, then the tea is worse. So it's nothing to do with me. I'm just a dude from Ohio. It's about this tradition, this lineage, this program, this way of life, right? Combined with tea, right? Now, let's put all this together, and then I know you'll probably have some questions, but let's put all this together and understand that when I surrender to a program that's outside of me, because my programming, what is my programming? Raised in this society, I'm just programmed to, you know, be a slave to my impulses, pursue sex, the more material possessions I get, the, the better I'll be and all that, that stuff, salt, sugar, oil, all of it. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, nobody gave me the advice to turn inward or look inward into my spirit for answers. I was given advice like, you just need a girlfriend. You need to get an apartment like Mark or a new TV like he has and you'll be happy or get a hobby lose some weight, exercise more, all this external stuff, which I realized very early on was and trying to find an outward solution to an inner problem, put a Band-Aid on a wound that needs hospitalization. And so when I realized that my problem was the inner problem and I needed inner medicine, right? I so started realizing that my programming, my mental programming, which is just to go around and pursue what I want. And I even mistook freedom. I thought that freedom was freedom to pursue all my petty desires. Right? Not realizing that real freedom is freedom from petty desires, not the freedom to pursue them. And that when you go around pursuing petty uh, desires, you're just, you're really just a slave to your own impulses, a slave to your own uh, weaknesses. And that none of that fulfills you. None of it works. It's, it's a, it can't, you can't fill that inner hole with outer things. And so I needed, you know, because I look around at the world and I see a whole bunch of people spending their life just going around pursuing what they want. That is capitalism. Just going around purchasing and consuming whatever you want. But I don't see it working anywhere. I don't see fulfilled, happy people. I see anxious, worried people more and more. The more they pursue that, the less joy they have. Right? And so, uh, you know, I realized that I needed another program based on based on internal truths, based on connection of spirit to nature, to the cosmos, to the Tao. And the more I subscribe to that program, which comes from without, from outside of me, because it's a tradition. It was here before I was even born. It was handed down to me. And the more I prescribe to that, it's a way of thinking, a way of being, a way of life that is, uh, that is you, you could say, higher than me. Right? And I don't always live up to it. I fall down. Right? My teacher, whenever he wanted to scold us in the Zen monastery, um, he, you know, he used to always say, you've forgotten the face of the Buddha. I forget the face of the Buddha every day. So I don't, I'm, it's not like I'm a perfect representation of this program or this way of life, this Cha Dao. But I strive to live it. Now here's the magic that the old man Lao Tzu was talking about. Let me break it down for you. So I have this way. Small w, cha dao, this program, this system of thought and way of living that I try to surrender to. I try to give my will to it. I try to follow it, in other words, this way of life. If that way of life itself 
just as it has doorways for me to go through and enter. If it itself is connected to bigger circles, then you can see how as I connect to it, I'm also connecting to those bigger circles. Now, is the way of T connected to bigger circles? Absolutely, because in T you have the wind and the rain and the mountain and the sunshine, which is photosynthesized into this leaf. So through it, you're connected to nature, you're connected to the cosmos. So the, the way of life itself that I'm following is itself following nature. So by following it and it follows nature and nature follows the Tao, again, we're back to me following the way, capital W, through my small way, small W, and I'm, I'm flowing you know, I'm flowing into it, the more that I give myself to it. And so when I'm brewing tea, when I'm in a tea ceremony, it's the more, less of me there is, the better. The more it's about my tradition meeting the leaf. And when those two things happen, something wonderful can happen for, for the guests as well. But the more that I'm there, the less powerful it is. So this is about a way of life that is bigger than me, right? And if you want this in really simple down-to-earth terms, let's just break it down really small, really simple. If you go to any person who pay attention to the verbs, is something as opposed to does something. So let's say cabinet making or fishing or photography, right? There's someone who, who, who does or makes photographs and there's someone who is a photographer. There's someone who uh, builds houses and there's someone who is a carpenter. Right? And if you apprentice with somebody who is a carpenter, because you can build houses for all kinds of reasons. You can build houses for money. You can build houses because your dad did and you just grew up with it and it's easy. All kinds of reasons. But if you are a carpenter, if that's what you are through and through, I guarantee if you apprentice with somebody who is a carpenter or a ballerina or a photographer or an artist or any kind of Dao, small d, way, small w, if you apprentice with that person, you will find that part of their art, part of their craft, part of who they are includes A, an approach to how to live a human life and B, an approach to the world or universe in which that life is lived. And so, do you make tea? You can make tea for all kinds of reasons. As a beverage, as a hobby, all that's fine and great. But I am a Chajin. Does that mean you have to be a Chajin? No. Does that mean you have to be a Chajin to drink tea? No. Does that mean if you are a Chajin, your tea's automatically better? No. There's no like levels in this, but I am a Chajin. So included in my, in my relationship to tea is an approach to how to live a human life and an approach to the world in which that life is lived in, right? So my tradition brings three things to the table. It brings brewing methods. It brings an approach to create the space the sacred ceremonial space within, with that, within which that brewing method happens. And then it brings also that life wisdom, the approach to how to live a human life and the approach to the world in which it's lived. It brings these three things. And when those three things meet the right herbs, right? this is what creates the fusion. This is what creates the spark. This is what makes the tea special. It's nothing to do with me. right? The more I'm there, the more I'm in the way. And that goes from my day-to-day -day personal experience. The more I surrender to this program, the more happy and joyful I am. Because I said earlier, you got tons of people all over the world pursuing all their trivial, petty, silly desires, trying to fill an in inner hole with outer means, an inner wound with outer medicine. And it's not working. 
they're not fulfilled, they're just more and more anxious. Whereas, you know, the opposite, because we're taught basically from birth, the more you take care of yourself, the happier you'll be. Mm -hmm. Right? But all I see is anxious, worried, stressed, messed up people. My, I myself was that. Right? And then when I turned inward for my answers, for my truth, for my wisdom, for my fulfillment, right? Only then did I start to experience joy. When I started to serve others, when I started to get out of myself, because what are we really seeking in the pursuit of sugar, oil, sex, uh, stuff, all of it. In the end, if you really, really go down to yourself, ask yourself, why do you want money? What do you want to buy? What are you going to do with it? What do you do? And you want the freedom to travel. Why do you want to travel? And you just keep asking questions about why you want things. You get really down to the basics. There are a few, but the most basic is that you want to connect and you want to transcend self. You want to connect to higher consciousness. And uh, none of those are access points because you got it all backwards. You think that those are connection points, that through them you can find yourself, right? But you got it backwards. You got to find yourself and then celebrate yourself through the six senses. You don't find yourself in your six senses. You, you fulfill yourself and then the, the six senses become a way of celebrating that fulfillment. So that's the, that's the way it is. And, and in essence, this breaks down to the teaching that I have been teaching you over and over and over again in thousands of forms, in thousands and thousands of moments. I have come to you over and over and over again and I've said to you, my son, my daughter, that which you seek is not outside of you. And when I say I, I don't mean Buddha. I mean the I that is the subject of all your sentences. I mean the I that is at the center of you has been coming to you over and over and over again and saying that to you, my son, my daughter, that which you seek is not outside of you. And so the more I subscribe to a higher way of being, a, a program of life, a way of life that comes from outside of me, that was engineered for my own nourishment and health and done so and grooved in, worn in, well-traveled long before I was born. The more I give myself to that, if that program itself has access points to plug into nature, then through it, I'm connected to nature and the cosmos and the way, capital W. So now you can kind of see the genius of why Lao Tzu, the old man says, I don't know what to call it, so I call it the way. Because my way is the way. Mm -hmm. And so here we arrive at a point where you can ask some questions. That's basically my breakdown uh, philosophically from a big place to a little place. Obviously, each of these points, each of these things can be unpacked so much. With so many questions, so many details, we can spend hundreds of podcasts talking about it. But there's a kind of breakdown of the word, you know, da, Dao and, and Cha. You know, we could also go dive deep, deeper into the word Cha and just discuss, you know, what tea really is. Because it, it could be anything, really. It starts with nature. It starts with water. It starts with mountain. It starts with wind and photosynthesis. And then you have a seed. Is a seed tea? Yeah. And then the, the small little sprout that comes out of it? Yeah, and then the tree? Yes. What about the leaf? Yes. What about the picked leaf? Yes. What about the processed dried leaf? Is that tea? Of course. And then you take it home and the time that you spend brewing it, the session, is that tea? Yes. And then the, the liquid itself, the liquor, is that tea? Yes. And what about the practice over years? The life of tea, is that tea? Yes. So 
tea also itself could be unpacked very, very deeply. But I left that part simple and focused on the word Tao, which is, you know, the deeper of the two. And, and uh, even then, you have to always come back full circle and just say Tao ka Tao fei jiang Tao, which is anything we say about it is not enough. Because remember, when he was talking about the way, capital W, he was talking about the actual universe unfolding in the present moment, not our symbols or con concepts, mathematical or linguistic, that represent it or its laws. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was um, that was a lot to un unpack there, and and you've answered so many of my questions already. Um, but I guess uh, before encountering this tradition, um, and I think for a lot of like listeners who are maybe new, uh, newer to tea, if you'd like years ago asked me or told me that I'm living a life of tea, I would have been very confused. So like, what does that look like? How does one practice um, Cha Dao? Maybe you can talk about that a little bit as well. I know it's more like a practical question maybe than a philosophical one, but um, yeah, if you could Well, that. Yeah, well, back to my, you know, my point of the tradition itself was to break it down into kind of three bite-sized chunks and say what it's offering is brewing methods, right? And obviously this isn't the place to discuss our brewing methods. In our tradition, we have five. There are other traditions. But this is the actual way of preparing tea. Like what kind of pot do you use? How do you hold it? How do you hold the kettle? All of that's incredibly relevant. And it's incredibly subtle and microscopic to the point that, you know, 20 years in, now I'm like 30 years in, but let's just say 20 years in, I was even then just constantly blown away by how intelligent some of these small subtle things are. Like, you know, just last year, I discovered like reason number 27A, why we hold the kettle in the way that we do and why it works that way. And you just discover it along the way and you're just like, wow, the, the, the generations of tea wisdom that created this method of holding the kettle are so brilliant and so subtle. Like that's true there in yoga or like, you know, how you might wonder like, how did they come up with these asanas? Or you study Qigong and you're like, how did they come up with these movements and how subtly they interplay with our body and our spirit and our flow of energy inside? You know, who discovered this? The answer is it wasn't a who, it was many who, who's. It happened over thousands of years. It was passed on and grown. It was cultivated, right? There's a reason that spiritual traditions the world over have always used the word cultivation. These, these truths were grown. They were honed in. They were worn like marks on a, on a board beneath a shrine because so many people have bowed their head down there and prayed to that in that temple so many times that there's now marks on the wood from their head, right? That, it's like that, like over years and years and years. But in this case, the function of the brewing method is included. So it's not just a spiritual principle. It's the actual functioning is so subtle. You can't like come up with your own way of brewing tea, your own way will just be to slop some water together. Or like at best, you might take some brewing methods you found online or uh, that you took, you went to some course with Wuda or some other teacher and you get some basic ideas. But then do you see now we're back to your way, not a way that comes from without well, outside of you and your programming. We're back to me and I'm going to design my own way. And let me just ask a question to all of you out there. If your answer is great, fine, dandy, then maybe you don't need to listen to anything more that we're going to say. But the question is, following your, pursuing your way in, in, the, in life, in the world, and what you want, and just focusing on taking care of yourself, 
right? Is that working out for you? Hmm. Are you fulfilled by that? The pursuit of that stuff? Do you honestly believe that you're capable of designing a way of life that will fulfill you physically, mentally, and spiritually? Is that your experience? That you're capable of just snapping your finger and now you're disciplined, you don't make bad choices for your body like choosing sugar or whatever it is or you know, having no control over your sexuality so that you can't choose the situations in which to express yourself sexually or not. So literally you meet some person and it's a completely inappropriate situation for sexual energy and it's just common sense knowledge for most people like, yeah, I just couldn't control it. But you can actually. There is methods of discipline so that I, when in an inappropriate situation where I'm interacting, let's say, uh, you know, if you're heterosexual, it doesn't matter who you're attracted to, you the per, uh, uh, an object of desire, where you're not forced into that niche of only that. You can relate to that person. Let's just assume I'm a male and I'm heterosexual and there's a beautiful female here. You know, why do I automatically have to go to a place where she's, you know, just that, the object of my desire? Why can't she be my sister, my mother, my goddess, my teacher, my friend? And I want to, it's not, it's not about that if I had sexual feelings towards her that that's wrong. There, and maybe she has them too and then we could explore that and there would be, and that would be appropriate. But the point is, I want to have a choice. Mm -hmm. So that I'm not overwhelmed by that when it happens, right? So my question is, in the pursuit of your petty desires, that just whatever your mind comes up with, has that fulfilled you? Is that working out for you? If your design and system of life is working for you, even if it's systemless, that's great. I bless you. I wish that for all beings. But my mind doesn't work that way. My mind's selfish and pursues things that aren't great for me. And these dudes all around, these corporations and political entities, they're great at changing my reality, how I look at things, how I see things through all kinds of social media and all, media and all this stuff. And they're also great at selling me things that I don't want. And the next thing I know, I've eaten some food that make, gives me a stomach ache or eaten over a long term will give me cancer. And food's a great example of taking the inner spiritual whole, transferring it to the body, trying to fill your stomach so that you can fill your spirit, which will never happen because your stomach will just get bigger and bigger and bigger and harder and harder to fill. I know that, I've got a problem with food. So I've fallen in that way all the time, right? And so I, I, I don't know that like my way, Wuda's way that I invented and just wrote down on some book because I wanted to. Will ever work to, to enlighten me, awaken me, fulfill me, connect me to nature. Because earlier we talked about the key element is that the way comes from without, a, the way small w, the program, the way of life. It comes from outside of me. It's better than me. It's higher than me. It has principles of truth and love and compassion and connection that are beyond my limited small self, right? That I'm programmed to, on the most basic level, interpret all my experience in terms of self and not self. And that even that distinction, that zero and one is not good for me. And that's fundamental. And, and that if I can surrender to a way that's bigger than me, better than me, and that way itself is connected to nature, then through it, I'm connected to nature and the cosmos and the way, capital W, Tao, right? So let's funnel that all down, come back to the teapot. These brewing methods were evolved over hundreds, thousands of years, and they're very, very insightful and deep 
And you can't just make them up. I could sit on an island and brew tea for 80 years from 4 a.m. till midnight every day and I wouldn't come up with even 10% of it. No way. I'm not smart enough to discover whatever, 10, 20,000, 5,000, whatever, 500 years of tea sages brewing tea. I can't discover all that they've handed down in one lifetime. Who do I think I am? So even the brewing methods, I'm, as I follow them, I'm slowly discovering their genius, right? So that's, that's the first part is the brewing method. We launch from there into, into some bigger stuff, but it's okay. And then the second part is about creating ceremonial space, sacred space, and how that's done. And again, the process of creating that was also given to me. It's also, can you, that, that one's a little bit easier to personalize. It's a little easier to do on your own than the brewing methods. Because if you just make up your own brewing methods, there's all kinds of subtle factors in tea that you're not even yet experiencing until you've brewed tea some years. And then you're just gonna be like, whoa, if I had started from the beginning doing this, you know, I would have probably experienced these more subtle levels quicker. And then the third is a way of life, an approach to life, and an approach to the world in which that is lived. I mean, if you want the really fundamental basics of that, third one, for me, you know, the measure of any tradition, any practice, any means of self-cultivation self is are you becoming more awake, more aware, more present onto this moment, this breath? And number two, are you becoming more compassionate, more connected, more in the heart, more in love? If these two things are growing, then the practice that you're doing is wonderful. If they're not, that doesn't mean the practice has a problem. It could be the way that you're practicing it. But these two things should be growing. Um, you know, the basics of how does a Chajin in our tradition approach a human life and approach the world in which it's lived? I mean, the basics of that are, how do we approach life? We approach life from a perspective of harmony, connection, connection with nature, connection with self, connection with others. We approach in a way of balance. We approach in a way of, uh, of, of peace and, and harmony with nature and letting, you know, letting that medicine flow and, letting, and being in part. That's the basics of it, right? But it includes other things also, like loving kindness is a huge one. That's a huge part of tea and a lot more. So, you know, just to recap, we have these three kinds of things, right? These three aspects of this tradition, which is not Wuda. I am just a vessel for it. I'm a holder of it. I'm a keeper of it. Mm -hmm. I'm a librarian. I'm a steward of it. And it is methods for making tea that are very, very subtle. And you can learn the basics, but you can't just take the, the method. Right? And then number two, it's a, it's a way of creating ceremonial space and conduct for being a host and a guest in tea. And number three, it's how to approach a human life and the world in which it's lived. That's it. And all of that came from outside of me. It's all better than me, right? It's all better than me as a person. And I fall short of it all the time. That's how I know it's better than me. And if it's connected to nature, then through it, I can connect to nature too. That's what makes it a beautiful practice, do you see? And I can't, you know, I can't do it myself. You can go to a, you can take the form we can publish a book on the brewing methods and you can look at the textbook and you can try to copy the methods, but you can't have the spirit. You can go to a tea farmer and ask him, how do you make tea? We just did that on our global tea trip. It's not a secret. They'll tell you 
all the steps involved in making oolong tea. They'll tell you in detail. Mm -hmm. They'll even let you try. But your tea's not going to be good like theirs. Because it's all in the details. It's in their hands. It's in the way they touch. It's in all kinds of subtle things that you don't even have the language for them to communicate to you about because you're not a tea farmer. You'd have to be another tea farmer and you have to be from that place, in that tradition, in that culture, in other words, to be able to discuss the subtleties, right? In the same way, you can take these brewing methods and brew tea this way, but I can't even go over 80% of what this tradition is, even in its brewing methods, because you don't have the language for it until you start living it. So that's in essence what, what, it, what tea means to me as a Tao. Is a way of connecting to nature. Is a way of connecting to myself, my true self, my highest self, right? And it's a way of uh, connecting to others. And it works as a medicine because it comes from outside of me. And when that method, that program, that way meets the right herbs, right, the right tea, right, then there's magic for me and for the others who participate in that ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you touched on this already earlier, um, but I wonder if you would like to talk a little bit about also uh, why tea, like why that plant is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, there's two, there's two ways of approaching that. One way is to just just say my nature's thus. You know, there's the old Zen koan. I asked the radish picker for directions, and he pointed the way with a radish. Why did he point the way with a radish? Because he's a radish farmer. Yeah, because he's a radish farmer. That's the simplest answer. He pointed the way with a radish because he's a radish farmer. Um, and I point the way with tea because I'm a man of tea. Uh, in, my, in my book, Way of Tea, in the beginning, there's a poem. And the old man who represents, like Lao Tzu, he represents the sage, the enlightened force of this world. And he asks, like, you know, the same question, why tea? And then in the poem, my eyes naturally go to the kettle by his side. And he says, ah, perhaps it's, it's okay after all. Like, because it's my nature. You wouldn't expect a Christian to knock on your door and say, I kind of sort of believe in Jesus. So you, will, you should, of course, a, a person, a man of tea, a cha jin. I am a cha jin, so I'm not going to do nothing but extol the virtues of tea. That's one perspective towards this. But there are some reasons why this plant I have. You know, the, the main one is, you know, I sincerely believe that this plant is an avatar of love. I believe that most certainly nature knows we're here. Um, I believe that the, that intelligence is not just within, within the bag of human skin. In fact, I believe that the division even between so-called organic and inorganic matter is absurd. All the minerals that are in rocks are also in my body. They're just organized differently. And there's a flow from organic to inorganic. And I'm not saying these concepts don't have any value philosophically or in, in our exploration of the world. But I'm saying that they they are limited and so for me you know I know that the planet is intelligent it's awake I can see it in the consciousness of a dog or a dolphin or plants also are living beings they are awake they have consciousness and the whole of it knows we're here and you know it doesn't express mother earth doesn't express love through language she doesn't sing songs she doesn't write poetry other than through us because we are also nature and so we are its voice and its poetry and its songs. But plants don't speak that way. Plants speak through chemistry. Mother Earth speaks through DNA. So she, of course she would show her love by creating the life that we need. 
What I'm saying is ultimately that our body has all the receptors to receive this, this plant and its messages. And its messages are chemical. They've discovered recently that the trees are actually in a forest are talking to each other through these networks of fungus that pass signals between the trees. What are those signals made of? They're not sound. You and I are now using sound to pass signals between our two brains. Mm -hmm. Trees don't use sound to pass signals. They use chemicals. They pass signals through chemistry. And we don't fully understand that, but we know what's going on. And the fungal network is like the phone network in the soil because they actually take sugars from the tree in exchange for passing those messages. And they've, they've proven all this. This is pretty amazing. So trees communicate through chemistry. And I'm saying we have the receptors for these chemicals, if you want to think about it that way. This plant is made to be human. Right? The origin story, one of the origin, many origin stories of tea is that Shandong was meditating, the divine farmer. He was an emperor who supposedly ruled for a thousand years and, and gave Chinese people civilization. And also is the father of all Chinese medicine, which is the first medicine on earth, so he's the father of medicine full stop. He's obviously a mythical force. And what he represents is the collective wisdom of all the tribal chieftains and shamans of pre-civilized China, who of course... It was their culture and their development and progress that created civilization. And he was meditating in the forest and the tea leaf fell into his pot of boiling water and he drank it and he exclaimed the words that we have downstairs here in the center. This is the emperor of all medicinal herbs. And the, one of the ways of unpacking this story is that that leaf didn't just arbitrarily fall into the pot. It jumped. This was the cell phone call of nature to us. Tea trees are one of the teacher plants that are here. You know, most plants evolved on this earth before we even got here and they evolved for their own reason. And can we use them medicinally? Yes. But they weren't created for that. We just discovered that. But this plant was made to be human. It was made to connect us. It was made to heal us. And heal us not physically, although it can do some of that. Because we're one system. This Western idea of separation between body, mind, and spirit is itself an illness. It's not like when you get a cold, it's just a purely physical phenomenon that doesn't ex affect your mind or spirit. Of course, we're all connected. And likewise, when you have emotional traumas, they can be stored in the body. So certainly tea can help the body, but it's more of a spiritual tonic. It connects us to nature and to the cosmos and to each other. It's also a social lubricant. That's the part of tea that everybody understands around the world and why it's become the second most consumed substance on earth after water. It's because everybody understands it as civilization, as connection to others, as a chance and an opportunity. Without any help from the Chinese, the British figured out that tea isn't just a beverage or a medicine or whatever. It's also a time, a time to set down your work and be with people you love. So it also facilitates our connection to each other. It opens our hearts. And we, you know, the first Materia Medica to mention tea said, said that tea is to brighten the eyes which you have to understand a little bit of Chinese cosmology to truly understand, which is that in Chinese divide the body and the universe into three kinds of energy, Jing, Qi, and Shun. We've gone over these in the magazine, the three treasures. Jing is vitality. It's your, it's your genetic force. It's what your parents gave you, your, both in your disposition to certain diseases, but also in how long you can live genetically, and all of that force that came through your parents into your body, right? It's also our sexual energy, so it's that place you dig when you want, you're running and you want to quit, and you dig down and go a little bit further. Qi is just the movement of all things. On a gross level, it's the movement of the lungs, the beating of the heart, 
the flow of liquids through our body. On a subtle level, it's literally the electrons going around the nucleuses of the atoms, the vibration of all things. And Shun is the cosmic energy, the great spirit, the hallelujah. God, if you will. Right? The Holy Ghost. And T is a Shun tonic. And the Chinese believed back in those days that when the Shun descended into the heart, the eyes lit up. And uh, that's why sages in Chinese art are often depicted with glowing eyes. And when that happens, there's clear knowing. Right? You have one of the greatest things ever uttered by a human being, which is said by Van the Man in one of his songs, right? If my heart could only do my thinking and my head begin to feel, then I would look upon the world and you and know what is truly real. That's that shun descending, pow, and you can, the eyes light up and you see. So it's about seeing. Wow, that was uh, really powerful. Thank you all for, for all of this. Um, left to think about there. I think that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for... Uh, thank you. I'm really excited about the launch of this podcast and the opportunity to discuss a lot of these deeper aspects. I know today we went way out there in space. Uh, T isn't just way out there in space, though. You've got to remember, T also connects us to the present moment, to the ordinary, right? So T isn't just some foo-foo way of getting way out there into the cosmos. It's cool to talk about all that stuff, but it's more important to live it. In Zen, we say, know who you are, be who you are. Right? So you got to have the insights into true you, who you truly are, but then you got to also actualize them in your life. Right? In Zen, we, we tend to regard Satori or enlightenment experiences, understanding big, powerful concepts. We don't value that currency if you can't actualize it in your life, in your daily life. So there's a lot to tea that's also practical and down to earth. Um, and I don't want to give the impression that it's all uh, of this, but this is a good way of launching off into many, many different topics and starting this this podcast. So I thank you for the opportunity and I, I look forward to being a guest on this podcast in the future. There you go. Um, so again, if you would like to support our cause um, and our efforts, uh, check out globaltihad.org um, sign up for our magazine that's monthly, comes with uh, beautiful tea every month and a gift. And also if you're interested in the more linear aspects like we talked in the beginning, um, check out our um, YouTube channel that's also called Global Tea Hut. Next time, join us when we talk to uh, one of the volunteers here in the Tea Sage Hut, Connor, and the discussion will be about uh, life of tea and service. 